Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. Russell by Hammers 11. Hope you're safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing, hitting the bell icon so you're made aware of any time I put new content on. We've got videos going up daily, but, you know, during this sort of off-season, although we've only got a couple of weeks to go, uh, we'll keep you going with fun West Ham content. Um, loads of great guests, including today's guest. You can always see who it is if you're watching on YouTube. Um, he played, he made over 140 appearances for the club um, across a three-year period. Um, captain decides promotion uh, in the playoffs and obviously captained the sides of the FA Cup uh, final in 2006, which we're all still bitter about. Um, <laughs> it's Nigel Rio Coke. How you doing, Nigel? Good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's probably a lot hotter in Florida than it is in Hornchurch. Yeah, it feels like 107 today with the humidity. Mm, my heart absolutely bleeds for you, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> Although, although you know, we've we've had we've had our summer. We had three days, um, you know, which wasn't too bad. That was that was summer, been and gone. Um, how how think how have things been for you in sort of this weird new world we live in now? Do you know what? Honestly, it's just for me. It's just been concentrating more on family time. You know, uh, in my younger days, I never really had a family towards the later end of my career. So it's just really best spending time with my kids. I think this whole homeschooling situation has been an eye opener. And um, even with everything that's happened in regards to the pandemic and things along those lines, I remember doing interviews uh, at my time at West Ham and always having the tremendous amount of respect for the NHS, people working in the health service and teachers and, you know, people, real heroes that I felt, people really put their life on the line yeah. compared to, obviously, you know, footballers. I've always known or said that footballers are privileged and lucky, but I never looked at footballers as heroes. So it's just uh, it's amazing how life goes around in a big circle now. You know, and I think people are starting to respect and you know honour people in the NHS a lot more when I felt that they already deserved the credit from a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of those, it's one of those things. Once you know, you, you know, unfortunately, it's times like this where you realise how much, particularly compared to you know, 
you know other places in the world where they don't have a national health service um yeah. you know it's it's just you know it's been brilliant and and you know i like the fact that you know the premier league and stuff are sort of recognizing them and you know they have on the, the logo on the badges and stuff like that and um yeah as you said it's it's well overdue isn't it really sort of all this it's, it's taken a global pandemic for us to all do it as one but we're all doing it and that's that's what's important but um yeah and obviously, obviously, you know, we didn't have any any football for a long time, or, or soccer over there. Um, and uh, no, then we had, then we had loads. Football. Yeah, then we had like. Do you still? Hopefully, you still call it football, Nigel. Oh, of course, yeah. Football. Good, good. Just it's checking, only sometimes cause... for the for the American, but they might get a bit confused with American football. They do give you the strange look. You have to say soccer, and then, oh, okay. Then then it kind of clicks. Oh dear. Oh dear, one day, one day. But I mean, yeah, and it's and obviously, you know, West Ham, you know, stayed in the Premier League and studied Joe Old Club Villa as well, you know, so um that was good. That was good. It was good, very good. You know, I think um with with the likes of West Ham, people always kind of really recognise myself and me to my time at West Ham. I think that's yeah, where I really probably made made my name. Yeah. And that's something that I can not deny, you know, and, and truly wear that and, and embrace that. That's where I really made it my name and stamp my authority. Um, it's a fantastic club, you know, and obviously being in America quite a bit now recently, I realised the growth and the potential that the club has. You know, I think if the club really reached out to let people understand about what the club is about, the fan base, the dynamic of, you know, East London and what it means to the, to the, to the fans, and it's more than just a football club. You know, it's really a way of life, a great dynamic. They'll have so many fans over. I think so many American fans will really appeal to the West Ham um, mentality, so to speak, and what the club really stands for. Yeah, no, totally. We've we've obviously interviewed lots of American-based hammers and, and, and they all... And the ones, obviously, that didn't live in the UK and move out, the ones that are just sort of native Americans and, and picked West Ham for that exact reason, you're right. So that sort of working class attitude. It's the you know, working class of... attitude for sure. And I think if, if you actually wanted to compare it, you look at um, NFL teams, I think the closest to go probably be to is probably like the, the Green Bay Packers, yeah. the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, that's the kind of uh, fan base that is very similar to West Ham. And I just feel that it's, it's an opportunity to truly grow the club in this country if they really just pushed it a bit more and showed the American public what the fan base is about because it would be very appealing to a lot of people over here. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, and also just the way all the seasons work out with different sports. You know, there's there's yeah. a gap there, isn't there, for a few months where where we could where the the Premier League could capitalise. But obviously, it's a lot better than it was. You know, obviously, you know, all the games are on all the all on the you know. Um, NBC, NBC do all the games, don't they, yeah. in the States? So, and that's great because obviously, you know, it's better than over here before because obviously we couldn't see no Saturday three o'clock games until obviously lockdown, but they had all yeah. the games over there. It's uh, it's crazy. And you hear the stories of all the sort of the, you know, the, the Las Vegas hammers and, you know, guys getting up at seven o'clock in the morning to watch a game in an English pub. It's brilliant. Honestly, I like, I've got so much admiration for fans outside the UK who support West Ham because it's not about the football. <laughs> you know, we probably no. our most our most successful time in recent times 
was was under your and then your sort of when your time at West Ham, you know. But still, you know, we you know we haven't run anything in forty years, but I feel yeah, forty years now. Um, and uh, and but still, they have a massive fan base, which is really great. But uh, and and obviously, you can see that from from where you are in the states. And obviously, there's loads of ex Hammers out there now. We've obviously got Jack there in Atlanta, and um, I interviewed Shaka the other day, and um, also flying the flag for West Ham, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, and, and I think I just think that if, if if the club kind of um, moved into the modern era of football, you know, I'm not yeah. I'm not saying it's all about branding and stuff, but there is room and great potential for growth over there. Gotcha. You know, and they've got a lot of ex players, ex representatives who know exactly what the club is about and were kind of involved in the most successful period the mm, club had. Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Don't worry. It would definitely be fantastic. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's the thing with West Ham. I am still online, don't worry. <laughs> I'm going back yeah. on. There we go. I'll go back on. Um, and that's the thing with West Ham. I just think there's, there is like, there is loads of potential. And when you interview like guys like the Indian based Hammers, these guys place, you know, are in the middle of Bangalore and they support West Ham and it's just, it's incredible. But, uh, no, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, now, Nigel, obviously, you know, you, you joined, you joined West Ham in sort of 2004, I think, January. How did that all happen? Because obviously you were at Wimbledon, you were at Wimbledon, and then in January you ended up at West Ham. What what was the what was the story of the transfer? Do you remember? It was, I mean, in in, in a condensed version. Um, obviously, Wimbledon went into administration. Yeah. Then we met Harry at Portsmouth, signed for Harry, thinking that I'm going to go to Portsmouth in the Premier League. Then the administrator at the time pulls the plug on that deal and says, "No, you're staying here," because he had no idea about the team and the players or anything like that. He was basically a numbers guy. Yeah, of course. Until someone told him to say, no, don't let him go, hold on to him. So then he pulled the plug on the deal. Then at the time, there was a little bit of interest from Everton as well. And then uh, something else went wrong there. And at the time, I think uh, West Ham were going through a tough time where they didn't win one. They won one in six games or something along those lines. And we ended up playing uh, West Ham at the hockey stadium. And that was the time when Michael Carrick was still there, JD. And there were rumours already going that West Ham were interested in wanting to sign me. But at the time, for me, it was just all about the football. So I was just concentrating on just enjoying the fact of, you know, I'm a young kid. I made it as a professional and that's all the man. So as long as I played well and kept on playing well, mm-hmm. everything else would take care of itself. And then eventually, after we played them, a lot of people were impressed. There were still some people who believed who were always whispering, oh, I'd never be a, a, a so-called West Ham player or be able to play the West Ham way. Yeah. And that kind of just motivated me more. And the next thing you know, you know, the deal happened and I got to West Ham. Yeah. And obviously, uh, and then, then you have, I mean, you know, that period, you know, obviously, you know, you establish yourself in the team, pods, you obviously, you know, made your club captain as well, um, which was, you know, must have been sort of, Coming in and being May club captain, particularly for a relatively young lad as well, it must have been, you know, it must have been fucking hell, you know. I'll <laughs> have some of that. At the time, I honestly didn't really think too much of it because the thing yeah. about someone like me is the fact that uh, from a young age, I was always captain. Like I was captain in oh, Wimbledon yeah. from the 14s all the way through. So I always was a certain type of way. One thing about the person that I am, I've always been consistent with it. Like, yeah, yeah. we all go through periods where we have that young age thing where you go through certain things. But I've always been consistency in the person that I that I was. So getting captaincy at West Ham was it was amazing, but I didn't really realise the burden of it. 
I think it's only till I stayed with the club longer that I realised how big that club was. And then you really get to understand because coming from Wimbledon, where we had five, ten thousand fans at the time when we were Wimbledon, then we became NBA bombs. Then you go to West Ham with 35,000 fans, then everywhere you travel, you always meet West Ham fans. Everywhere you go in London, it's West Ham fans. And then you seem to realise that somehow, some way, West Ham fans knew exactly everything that's going on in the club. Whether it's things that you just think they have no way to know, but some of the club knows where there's, it just always seems to leak out. So then you really realise how big that club was. And it was never the fact of going there thinking West Ham was a small club. I knew it was big. But it's until you're in there and you realise how big, yeah. how passionate the fans are and how invested they are in the club that becomes something fantastic. And like you said, coming from, you know, South London, boy, I grew up 10 minutes, five minutes walk from Crystal Palace's stadium, Sellers Park, yeah. and going to West Ham and being captain. And, you know, at, at that age, we had to be tested. Yeah. You look at now, the modern day now, when we're talking about, about bullying and this and that, we grew up in that bully boy dressing room dynamic. So sure. being yeah. young and being a captain, I was tested. And it's when you get tested, you either fold and crumble or, you know, you stand up for yourself. So you had to have something about and being so young. And I think also I'll say as well, being a young black captain, yeah. I think it robbed some older senior players the wrong way sure. because and it's nothing against them but the reality no, of it yeah. is be told they grew up in a different generation you know they yeah. grew up in a generation where certain racial jokes were deemed okay so we were yeah. the young generation coming through and at the time also i think someone told me the other day that when myself and some people like anton marlon or us lot came through in, in football first team football in the premier league we were the first big boom of an ethnic generation yeah, yeah, definitely. So, but when you go from a complete different generation and you've got someone young that's 19, 20, 21, captaining, you know, from a championship side to a, a, a Premier League side now, some of the old people were stuck in that old school mentality and generation. It didn't really go well with them. So I was tested a few times and yeah. I had to stand up for myself. Mm. Yeah, no, I get that totally. And and you're probably right. You're right. I mean, you said you, Anton. I mean, there, there, was, a, there was a crop of, of young... Young players, young young black yeah. players, you know, and as you yeah. said, it was like Anton, yeah, you, you know, people like Marlon was in there as well, and and yeah, Bobby Z, and there was it was a it was a new generation coming through, and yeah, I mean, for me, that was like it was awesome because you were all like young lads, and people like obviously Anton had come through from, you know, come through from the academy, but even like you, you came, you know, you seems because you were still young, you was in that sort of that sort of same group, you know what I mean, and it was. Um, yeah. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, it'd be funny, you know, we had, obviously we're in the championship, which wasn't, you know, which, you know, wasn't, wasn't great, but obviously we had the promote with the playoff two in a row. Obviously we lost the palace, which was, I still have nightmares about that one. Um, <laughs> I can still close my eyes and I can just see a sea of yellow t-shirts bumping up and down to glad all over. It's still like haunts me, absolutely haunts me. And then obviously then the Preston North End game. Um, what's it like being a cat bit, not, not, not being a captain, but being involved in a playoff because it must be an extremely stressful game compared to every other game you play. Really, it, it's for me. It's different. I think that's what some people have to. I think for, from a fan's perspective, you have to realise that different players thrive on different things. Yeah. Some players thrive more on big pressure games. 
and I'm sure like, you've seen you've seen a lot of West Ham games. So I'm sure you've seen some players who, when they're playing a top six side, they perform unbelievable. It's West Ham. And when, when they play teams that they should really walk over, they're very average or below average. Yeah. So it should just give people an insight from an individual perspective that players thrive on different things. For me, the playoff was a fantastic plus. You know, mm. when when I got in games like that, I always thought to myself, like, what do you have to lose? Like, mm. you can't fill your mind with any kind of negativity or anything like that because this is what you dreamed about. Now you're on the big stage. You're going to have, if it's the playoff, 60 or 90,000 people there coming to watch you play and be part of this. Like, what do you have to lose? This is it. Like, this is what you dreamed about. This is what comes with it. And you've got nothing to lose. So there's no point in being negative. It's all to win because you're there. You got to the stage that you dreamed about. So for me, it was just a great adrenaline rush. It was a fantastic buzz. Um, it was just, it, it's like, it's what I wanted, you know. And I, I personally love the big occasions and thrived on that because there are times, obviously, you know, West Ham where you go to certain games and people will be like, oh, you've lost that game or you're not going to beat Liverpool, you're not going to beat Man U. For me, it was like, okay, well, people have already written us off. What do we have to lose? Yeah, We've got free, nothing yeah. to lose. So let's go out there and let's prove people wrong and then people can eat those words. Mm. That's kind of a bit of a, a mental state of mind that I, I had. You know, I love, yeah. I love being the underdog. And I think that's something that I thrived on. I think with us, we were the underdog. And even with all the players that you mentioned, you know, you think about the talent that we had there. But one thing they always mention about West Ham is the fact of when they were relegated, that the team was too good to be relegated, yeah. that they had too much talent. And if you look at that team squad for squad, a lot of West Ham fans will probably still pick the Premier League squad over the squad that got promoted. Very true. Very true. You're right. And it's, but it, it's all, you're right. It's sort of, I, I can see your point totally. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, for yourself, you know, it must be, you know, because obviously from when, because, you know, you're sort of, you, the dreams of playing in the, the Premier League were dashed a couple, you know, obviously with the, when you went to Everton, like the Everton thing fell through and, and Portsmouth, but winning that Preston North End game and then becoming a, a you know, a bona fide Premier League, Premier League captain as well, must have been like, tick that one off the box, you know what I mean? Do you know, I think I, I, I did look back. Um, I did look back on my career on that, and uh, for me, I think that that's the best way to be. You know, I think yeah. that as I progressed and played in England under twenty ones, we played with some yeah. of these guys who were uh, all these clubs. You kind of realise that you know that was the destiny for me. That was the best way for me to earn it, more so than to see some of these kids who I was playing against in the Championship get bought by Premier League clubs. It meant so much more to earn it and to, to do it the way yeah. that we did, you know, to go for a playoff final and to share that journey with the fans and stuff. It just means so much more. And I think yeah. it's something that it can never be taken away from, you know, and, and it's, it's, you proved yourself in the championship and then you emphatically earned to get yourself to the, the golden ticket, the Premier League. Yeah. And then again, the question is like, oh, how they can do the Premier League and you yeah. just prove yourself in the Premier League. Yeah. And I think that that is a better journey because in the long run in life and in your football experiences, it paves a long way for future experiences and what you can go through and, you know, what what might come back your way that you've already got that experience. You know, you've got that big game experience. And when I went to West Ham, we had it for two years in a row, you know, two player finals and you got them. 
totally. And you, and the particular, I mean, the, the second one was even, I think, sweeter, obviously. Because obviously, we'd lost the first one, but the second one was, was sweeter because, you know, we that last run of games was like we had an incredible run of games to get into the into the playoffs as well. And I think you just, it's always the way the team with the momentum comes through. You know, that first one, Palace really had the momentum to be fair based on that, you know, it's come up and I think we had that as well. And I think it makes, it makes a huge difference. And then obviously, you know, taking that nucleus of that team and then into the Premier League. And then obviously the fight, the next year we're back at Cardiff again for the FA Cup final, which was that whole journey must have been, because I know that, you know, obviously you've got sort of t- two hats on, you know, you want to obviously still be in the Premier League that year, but then the Cup's getting closer and closer and closer. It must have been sort of, <sighs> for some people, I can imagine it really fucked their head a bit because they want to be in the Cup final, but then they've got to perform at the league games and stuff like that. What was it like as the captain, you know, particularly, you know, when it came to sort of the quarters and semis, maintaining sort of the, the league as well as the as well as the cup interest because it must be really tricky because you've got it personal was, goals think, as well you know what? It's, it's something that you know it's, it's not rocket science i'll be honest nah. with you. i think yeah. that at that time there we had the right characters you know yeah, in that dressing room there with all the clubs i've played and all the experiences i've had i think there that's probably the most unique dressing room that i've ever been in you know aston villa's dressing room wasn't bad close second mm. but west ham's dressing room was truly unique there was such a great bond there um you know from how management was how they were with the players mm. how the players came in and when we have such a strong nucleus especially i would say a british a british backbone yeah yeah true of knowing what it means to the club mm. what it means to play for that club any players that come from wherever they come from it doesn't matter once yeah. you've got that strong british backbone in the dressing room they will, won't be scared to let you know this is what it means this is what this mm. game against Tottenham means this is what this game against Millwall means. This is what it means yeah. to the fans in Chelsea. So once you have that strong nucleus of at least five or six players, it's very easy for foreign players to buy into it. Mm. And it's funny because, you know, going off topic, I had a very uh, funny story when I was sitting there with uh, DDA Dropper. And uh, one time we were travelling for a game when I played with him at Montreal Impact. We were talking about it and I said to him, you became Mr Chelsea. I said, you bought into Chelsea because of... John Terry, Ashley Cole, Jay Cole, Lance, they're all there. Mm-hmm. So when you came as a foreigner, yes, it was new Chelsea, new money, but they made you understand what it is to become mm-hmm. Mr. Chelsea and what it means to play for Chelsea. And you took it on board because you're the added advantage of these players being there. And he agreed with me. He couldn't even deny he fully agreed with me. And that's what it takes sometimes. I think with certain clubs, there is a point where you need to really stamp down your identity of what the club means. Mm -hmm. And in the dressing room, I didn't have that much to do because we already had a great dynamic of players and characters and it was very easy. And at that time there, we just had the mentality of winning. Every game we played, I just wanted to win. And if you have that mentality in there and all the players buy into it, it just makes it very easy. So, you know, it wasn't, I can't say it was a fancy formula or I did. No, I just did my bit as a captain, you know, making sure that everyone is as together as they can be. Everyone, you know, just respectful and enjoying their football and and just basically keep us together as one unit. And I think think also, Nigel, I think what you were saying there about, you know, understanding, you know, 
people, new players coming in, understanding what it's like to be a West Ham, what it's like to play for West Ham, as you said, like the big games of Tottenham, Chelsea, and yeah, Millwall. As well. I think that's 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 something which actually I think in the, in recent seasons we've lost a little bit, and I think there's there's definitely been, and it might I think it might have been the modern game in general, but there seems to be slightly more uh, detachment between players and fans where. Sort of your era is probably the last era, I'd say. Maybe, yeah, probably the last era where there was that sort of connection. And it might have been because maybe not, not having to be in British players or not, because you know, someone like Paolo Di Canio, you know, or and and you're Carlitos. I mean, Carlitos Tevez, you know, he 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 got it, he got it, you know, and he was only there for a few months, bless him. Um, and it's something which people lose, and I think it's something which I think particularly David Moyes has made a point of in his interviews when he wants to bring in the right players, when he brings in the right players, if he brings in the right players, um, that they understand that. And that's so, so critical. And obviously from the captain's role. hundred percent. I think what David Moyes is saying there is so truthful. You know, it's, 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 Mm. I I do think it has been lost. I think that the connection has been lost, Mm. but again, it's a lot of it's done about, it's about the recruitment. And I think it's, it's one of those things where you have to look at yourself as a club, what you mean, what you stand for, and get players that will embrace that club, what it means, what it stands yeah. for. I'm not going to say that I don't agree with it because we can see it as fans. You look yeah. at Burnley. Sean Dice is a, is, a, is a very particular type of manager. He's the same as a player. Mm. If you look at the players that play for Sean Dice, they all have the same kind of mentality mm. as he had as a player. And, you know, they perform how he wants them to perform. So they obviously buy into his style of management, his style of football. Yeah and the hard work and graft which represents yeah. and reflects the club Burnley if you look at the area it's from mm. West Ham can do that I just think at yeah. times they've lacked a bit of direction of where they truly mm. want to go you know if we're being critical of the club I just think sometimes we just need to get the direction like you said hard working blue collar club those are the type of players you want and yeah, there and- are still players who put the graft in and stuff and sometimes you might need some ex-players or you know players to be a lot more involved within the club on the yeah. football side of stuff, you know, to help identify players or to be in there with the players and talking and, and really create and establish a, uh, how would I say, a style of play or football, yeah. or something that all West Ham fans can completely relate to. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, th- I think I think we're sort of we're turning the corner a little bit now because I think people like, we brought in Gerald Bowen, who's a typical West Ham player, young, hungry British player, know he's going to put a shift in. Even Suchek from Sparta Prague, he's a, he's very much a West Ham player, you know, just, and that's the thing, you, I mean, you, you know more than anyone, Nigel, if, you know, those West Ham fans, if no one, if you don't put a shift in, they'll let you know, you know what I mean? It's like, you yeah, might not have the exactly. best game, but if you try, like, if you put a shift in and you have a good, you know, you try, then people let them off a little bit. They might not be the most skillful, but if they are tryers and grafters, that's the thing. But when it came to sort of the FA Cup final itself, I mean, for you, that must have been a boyhood dream. You must have, from you know, to, to not only be in the FA Cup final, but to be the captain. Obviously, you didn't lift it, unfortunately, um, almost. But it must have been amazing, just just from a personal perspective. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It's just one of those things you can't put into words. You know, I yeah. remember watching FA Cups when I was a kid. I used to play outside the front of my house with a tennis ball. We used to play silly games of 60 seconds of a tennis ball and you can only score through a volley. So I remember watching yeah, um, Michael Owen. I remember watching Liverpool Man UFA Cup final when Owen scored that time. And just it's just, it's a dream. That was, you know, the magic of the cup. That was when the FA Cup, and it still is to this day, but back in those days, I'll probably say it held a lot more of a, a higher value 
than it does into those modern day football. So to get to that final, it was one of those ones where I was, in my mind, I was saying to myself, you know, you don't want the the, the occasion to pass you by. Yes, soak it up. But regardless of what happens, it's something you can reflect on after you played your footballing career to say, you know, you played an FA Cup final after you, you know your first year in the Premier League and captain in the FA Cup final, you know. And it for me, I still believe it is one of the greatest FA Cup finals because not just for West Ham and Liverpool fans, but even for the neutral fans that watched that game. So many neutral fans said that that was so enjoyable. You know, you look at the modern day FA Cup um, games nowadays; they're just so one-sided. But yeah. I, I just said that I think that there's not one West Ham fan yet that I've met to say anything negative or bad about that FA Cup final because no. I think whether you're a West Ham fan or a Liverpool fan, you can be very, very proud of that day because it was just such a, it's a great occasion. It's just a shame, obviously, we never got to see it over the line. Yeah, totally. It was on a, it was the weirdest game it was the weirdest game coming out of Cardiff because every Liverpool fan you stopped would stop you and shake your hand and said you should have won that and it was like we know <laughs> you know it, it didn't feel like you'd lost it was really it was a really bizarre game it was just bizarre you know as you said it was a real topsy turvy game I mean I I was I was literally I, I remember the the the, the second half of of extra time and when the ball came across and Marlon only had one leg bless him at the end and he's and it was the wrong leg and uh but it was it was just West but it was just such an such a fantastic occasion and you know I think it was one of those days where you were proud obviously I mean yeah we were always we are, are proud to be a West Ham fan but even more so because as you said it's a game which people still talk about as being one of the best yeah FA Cup finals ever which was amazing to be part of and to be that yeah. close that yeah, close right. you know Gerard, but yeah. that close, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, it is, it is what it is. But it happens. Um, but I mean, it's yeah. I've been funny. You know, three years of the club. Think how much, how much. Not obviously the club changed, but obviously you know you'd it was been two playoff final. Every year there was something. You know, every yeah. season it was either playoff final or that ain't bad. That ain't bad. You know what I mean? I've always, it's, uh, I've always said. Um, I've always said that West Ham is a club that truly can take you through a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. And I think if you look at that period, I think that's why probably the teams we had in those period, the fans loved so much just mm. because of every year for pretty much four years, we were involved in something. You know, it wasn't that, oh, we, we finished 10th or 11th in the Premier League, that's it. And in te- it was two playoff finals, promotion, FA Cup mm. final, surviving relegation so it was literally just a roller coaster of emotions yeah with a group of players that were there and it was just we west ham was always in the spotlight there was always yeah. something going on about west ham so i think that's why i probably might uh, stay so vivid for fans well it is it was like four is it a four-year roller coaster and obviously you know that last year before you yeah. left was obviously you know the craziest sort of i don't know like six to twelve six to eight weeks i see i think i've ever seen at west ham you know like they yeah. have a great escape now as a, as a as as a player sort of ha- that must have been i mean obviously your last game was be was that game was the game at man united um yeah and what was that what was that like i'm not being funny it's like you've been to the player you've, you've done sort of the promotion stuff what's it like in a relegation battle and knowing you've you know, you've got to win and everything about it. It must have, you know, how, how, how mentally do you prepare for things like that? It's, it's weird. Again, like I said, for me, I never believed that we would go down. You know, yes. even as dark as things look, I never really ever believed that at one, at one second. There was obviously changes, a lot going up top of the club. Yep. 
um, a lot of players were in different positions of, uh, I would say, happiness at that time. Yeah. But we still stayed together. We believed in one another. Um, obviously, Curbs came in, um, made his changes, coached how he wanted yeah. to, and it just wasn't working. So a group of us went to see him and say, look, if you want us to win or want us to perform, this is what we used to do that brought us success. And Curbs just said, fine, do it. And we started to do it. And then we started to get the results and we just continued. You know, we liked, at that time there, we were very high tempo training, very aggressive. There were a few scraps in the training ground, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But that's what kept the competitive edge. That's what made us strong. You know, there was disagreements, but we went into it, uh, the run, and it was just an amazing run. But again, you know, and I, I will speak, I had loads of obviously West Ham friends and yeah. stuff like that that I've been, I'll speak to. And I said that, you know, I just don't believe we're going to go down. And it was really that winning mentality. I think uh, everyone played a part. You know, everyone played a part. And one person I felt who did get a lot of credit for what he really did. I know, obviously, Carlos Tevez gets a lot of credit. Yeah. But I felt that um, Bobby Zamora was tremendous. You know, people didn't really see what Bobby would do at the training ground and especially the effort he would put in in the games. But he played a big, vital part for me. He's someone that always stuck in my mind through that run there of, of how influential he was to the team for that so you know for, for us i can't say that there was ever a worry in the dressing room we we're going to go down i, I, I honestly couldn't say that if i said that to you i'd be like i, I really yeah, yeah, like yeah. us in the dressing room really believed we'd survive you know it was it was such a tough year with everything else that happened everything was going on yeah and i'm sure that there's some people who will be watching this who know exactly what happened yes behind of course. the door, yeah. higher yeah. up you know the stories yeah. and rumors coming out of west Ham. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. We people know what went on and stuff, and that's the thing. But you know, and then you know, from a from a purely sort of, I don't know, uh, football perspective, as a, what was it like turning up to training one day, and um, these two Argentinian internationals come in with Carlitos and Maserano? What was that like? Because that's not West Ham. It's you know, it's like it was bizarre for a fan. What was it like as a player? Again, for us, honestly, we didn't really pay that much attention to it because sure. I, I wasn't too aware of them. And obviously yeah. they came in and then we started to understand about how the transfer was done and it's a big thing and it shouldn't have been allowed and this and that. Yeah. So we didn't pay too much attention. Once they came in, you know, they, they were very good players. Um, Tevez was a very unique character. Mascarano was good as well. But obviously from them coming in, you could sense a bit that uh, they were being forced to play kind of yeah. thing. And, you know, it, it was just for me, it's one of the things, again, where I said about West Ham, where it's kind of they need to have a direction and go with the mm. direction of what the club is. Because sometimes it's like they go completely left without really yeah. having a real direction, you know, with, with yeah. some players. But that was an experience. I think, again, that got people talking about West Ham. They were great in the dressing room. Um, I talked... Carlos, his first vital words he needed to know on a football pitch playing in England. Uh, three words. Uh, yeah. And they were good. They were good. You've mentioned lots of players. Now, obviously, Nigel, you know that the idea of this channel was, you know, we do we do sort of this 11. So, you know, everyone we get on does like an 11. Now, I understand, you know, you 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 know, you, uh, you, you don't want to necessarily do a full 11, if that's correct. Am I right? I will not be doing a full 11 because I've always been a team player. So for me, I'm going to leave it up to the fans, the teams that I was playing in, even if they yeah. want to leave me out of the team. But the team, I think 
it's just like you said, it's, it's hard to pick an 11 because yeah, no, I get everyone that. played their part in that whole four-year period for West Ham. Yeah, there's different, it, everyone, yeah, right. there's different things that was needed at different times. So I just yeah. think that squad that we had in that four years, you know, was just fantastic because everyone has a time, a purpose and yeah. a reason, you know, whether it's to motivate players who are not playing or to yeah. come in and do a job for someone that gets injured and do it to, to fit in, you know, to, to really be at that level. Yeah. I think that four years there is um, a great squad of players that we had. And fans obviously had their own starting eleven, and I'll yeah, let them. Pick it. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I believe that that was the for me those periods there were the name where was the years where Nigeria Coca became really noticeable. You know, where I really stamped yeah. my foot. Like I said, everyone knows me for playing at West Ham and making my name there and I wouldn't change anything for him. I think for them, we didn't always get along, but that dressing room there was great and it shaped me and moulded me for the rest of my career. And even the the dark days of West Ham, should I say, when uh, the, the survival days, that whole year, yeah. And the period I uh, engaged with the fans and what went through and what yeah. happened, um, that really molded me. You know, I always say to people, mm-hmm. listen, if you can play for West Ham fans, you can play for any fans in the world. That's what yeah. anything. So if you can play for West Ham fans and the good, the bad, and the indifferent and survive and get through it, yeah. every other team is just, just a walk in the park. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And and to be fair, you know, those those four years, there was a nucleus of, of, of the team was was almost consistent throughout that that team yes. really so there yeah. was you know you could probably you know people could probably come up with a, a, a good squad anyway but I mean I know, I know exactly what you mean about sort of how it sort of your time at West Ham shaped you as a as a professional and obviously as a, as a person we interviewed Anton and Anton said exactly the same thing lessons that were learned during his time at West Ham have set him in good stead for the you know as he said whether yeah. it's dealing with an- animosity or just learning from the more senior players about how to treat, you know, and and it's it's incredible when you think about it. I mean, I, I always just think of it as as a you know, you're a bunch of bunch of eleven people and stuff, but it's so much more, and you can learn, and it's it just develops you as a person. And you know, obviously, that's why that's why I love watching all these uh, all these all or nothing documentaries on Amazon. The Tottenham one's just about to come out now because you find out a lot more about the people and stuff. And um, See, but it, I mean. It, 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 the thing is, sorry to interrupt. The thing is, what's good about that is it's now a different generation. Yeah. So how we grew up, we grew up in the generation where we grew up in the the hairdryer treatment, the kind yeah. of rite of passage, where you, like I said, you would be tested and you had to get through it. And we grew up in a generation where managers can tarnish you all with the same brush. But now, for fans to understand that the, the, the game has changed, people have changed yeah. now. Where football now has become a lot more of personal one-on-one management. You know. Managing now, you can't just kind of show with the same brush. You know, you have to spend a lot more time really managing, and it's become a lot more individualized. Where every player is motivated of different things now. You know, those days of just winning and winning trophies and stuff are wrong, and that's why it's even more vital for managers and coaches to get the right players with the right mentality mm-hmm. into your club, because you can have one player that's motivated by the reality of it, money. One player that's really motivated by just the fact of being a footballer and one player that wants to win so you can't say one or two sentences or you know one or two things to get all three of them to think in the same you know Mm. zone 
Yeah, so yeah. it's become a lot more individualized. I think, uh, like you said, that fans would be, you know, very surprised to see now how the modern game has evolved, how dressing rooms are, because they're nowhere near like how it used to be when we play. Because when we play, as soon as we get in, we interact with each other. We'd start making fun of what someone wore to training. We'd hang people's yeah, yeah, clothes. Yeah. The modern day dressing room now is nothing like that. You know, now everyone just goes in. They don't really talk and socialize. Most of them are just on their phone. And that's yeah. something I've witnessed and saw in my own eyes uh, a couple of years ago, not too long ago, that the modern day dressing room, these, these younger kids and younger generations don't socialize no more. Nah, you know, yeah, so good point. bonding has gone. A lot of them on their phone, on their Instagram, on their Twitter. So now yeah. it's not just about what comes out in the newspapers. Because now every player has their own platform to say what they really said or what they truly felt. Because back in our days, it was what the papers said, and that was yeah. it. And like I remember the time when uh, I got substituted one game, I believe, and then they ran into a story that I took off my armband and threw it on the floor and disrespected the club and all this nonsense. And a friend of mine had to run a video clip on Sky Sports to show me handing the armband to Hayden Mullins when he was yeah. coming on. But that was a generation I did. I had to swallow that because it was in the papers and then people read it and they believed it. Mm. But in this generation, now, if that's something something like that happened, I could put it on my social media feed, it'll be retweeted so many times. Yeah, so many bits, yeah. yeah. So it, it is a different, it is a real different generation now. Yeah. It is, yeah. It, it is, and, and, and it's funny, yeah, because I, when, I, when I'm watching, obviously all the players come off the team coach, which I, which I do at the, at the ground, they're all, as you said, all got their headphones on on their phones and it, it doesn't seem to be that that banter you know what i mean just like yeah. it, and, and i think that's and i think that's that's a shame i think you know and i think you know in the modern day particularly you don't get personality you don't get so obviously personalities anymore now do you know what i mean it's all like it's funny that you said that because i said um, i've said it to a few times a few people because obviously i, I still yeah. do a few things for west ham people yeah, yeah, yeah. i said west ham is a club where they need at least four or five players with personality yeah, they yeah. don't have to be the greatest players, but they need personality and character in that club because when you have some personality and character in that club, the fans will get behind that. They yeah, want totally. that. I think one player that was good, obviously he left because of his circumstance whatsoever, was Anatovic. And I used to say when I did the TV and radio, I said Anatovic is the West Ham player. He's yeah, the type he's of player that the fans feed off and that's the type of player they need, but they need more than one. And I think that's what it is. It's the character side of things that's making the game become so boring now. And you look at last season, I, I was... Yeah. 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 It is. You, you're right. I mean, it, it's true. It, it, you get sort of... I mean, as I said, I think your your era was probably the last era. There was, you know, characters. Even people like Bobby Z and Marlon and, and yourself and Anton and... John Pantsil, bless him, you know, he used to turn yeah. up on Thursday. We interviewed John, obviously John turned up on a Thursday, doesn't he? In his full, in his full, yeah. his full African dress. And but, he, but stuff like that just is, it endears you to be, you know, nowadays you're right. It's it's so uber professional. I mean, I used to live in Loughton where obviously loads of the West Ham guys used to, you know, used to live. And so, yeah, I would be in Sainsbury's or Safeways and Shaka would be in Sainsbury's and I'd serve him at the Tills. And, Nowadays, they've all got Canary Wolf apartments and, and yeah. 
that you know, and you miss, and that's what I think people miss. Obviously, it's a, it's indicative of modern game, not just West Ham. Um, you know, obviously, when he's at Upton Park, you could put your hands to the railings and you'd all sign something. You don't get that yeah. anymore because it's a shame. It's a shame, and I think that's why. That's why, and I think also that's why obviously the nature of football as well. Players, if you get a player for three years, you've done well. Whereas you know, yeah. to, you know, you were around for four years, and people have a lot longer. And um, it's a shame, but you know, at least we were there to yeah. to watch. It's, that it's just it's just the personal touch, I think, and I, yeah. I do feel sorry for the fans. I think it's the personal touch that's gone now. That bit of extra connection to to the mm. players. I think social media has kind of taken that away. You know, yeah, that real extra bit of connection to the fans and being truly involved because now obviously every club is embracing social media and have their own social media outlet and stuff like that. But you just want the, the players to kind of be taught to have that emphasis again of that deeper connection with the fans. You know, going to sign autographs with the fans, talking to fans, it's not such a bit, it's part of it. It's part of why you become a professional football player. And you can always tell um, with football fans as well that. The ones who have that, when they're given a platform, they know how to use it and actually say things that actually make sense. So you can yeah. tell the, the, the ex-players who actually really did communicate and speak with fans and have an understanding compared to the ones who try and pretend to be something they're not. Because when they're given a platform, sometimes you're scratching your head to say, well, well what is he on about? Like, <laughs> you what's mean. he talking about? <laughs> I know what you mean, and, it, and now that you're right. Just I mean, you know, nowadays it's not about autographs; it's about getting follows on Twitter, in it. And if and if I don't know, I get excited when Trevor Sinclair sort of retweets one of my videos. You know, and that's yeah. and that's the now the modern day sort of seal of approval or the or the self. You don't get them no more. Obviously, don't get it now at all because you can't go near anyone. But um, nice man, look, it's it's been lovely. It's been lovely chatting to you. I, I did. I promised forty five right. minutes. Just about man. Well, um, truck coming past. Hold on. <laughs> My no, mind's gone quiet on you now as well, so I can't hear you too well for some reason. Don't worry, don't worry, man. I'm just going to say thank you so much for your time, Nige. It's been lovely chatting to you. Um, thank you really for appreciate me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you to everyone for watching as well or listening on Spotify or whatever. Um, and until next time, for me and Nigel, take care, everyone. Stay safe. That's important. Come on, your irons, and we'll see you again very, very soon. Say, oh, hey, go on, Nige. Go on, Nige. Can I you get it, it done? I've got all my phones. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Just there we go. There we go. Oh, okay, we prove. There you go. There we go, Nige. Anyway, take care, everyone. Stay take safe. We'll see you Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.